This is Paul Nobles from Eat Perform, and I am hitting, sitting here with Coach Scott Hall. Uh, Scott is a longtime friend, probably the person that I've known in my fit life uh, as long as anyone, um, and probably had the most conversations related to health and fitness with Scott. So I'm going to let him introduce himself and where you can find him online and, and things of this nature. And then once we start talking, you're going to realize who Scott is because we use his image of fair amount on each perform. Oh, hey guys, this is Scott. Um, I grew up with Paul, I guess, as far as fitness goes, we, um, we met probably a little bit over a decade ago online and uh, we were members of one of the same groups. I think it was a uh, fasting group perhaps. And, um, you know, we just kind of got to talk and became friends and have been, uh, I think, both very fortunate to grow up in the industry and uh, have a modicum of uh, professional success. I'm a uh, level two uh, USAW weightlifting coach. I am one of the Olympic weightlifting coaches at Kansas City Barbell. I've recently moved up here from Mississippi. I did own a facility by the name of Fit Lab Tupelo. It was a powerlifting and Olympic weightlifting facility in Tupelo, Mississippi. And uh, my good friends, uh, Jay Ashman and uh, Sean Dunstan up here in Kansas City presented me with an opportunity to uh, grow professionally. So I've closed down my club and uh, this weekend, actually Sunday at 8 a.m., we are meeting up to move into our new facility. Uh, we're moving from a space of two spaces of about 1,800 square foot that are about 500 miles apart into one space of about 3,600 square foot that is absolutely beautiful and in a, uh, just a really cool uh, part of town here. Uh, I moved uh, the day before lockdown started with the pandemic. And um, it's been a neat way to uh, <laughs> get off the ground professionally. Uh, I've been fortunate to uh, be able to make it and uh, actually uh, online clientele has grown significantly. So, why don't we start there because we're, you're, you're kind of getting ahead of me a little bit because that's part of the conversation that I want to have. Um, but where can people find you online? Okay. Uh, we are on, on Facebook uh, as Kansas City Barbell. Uh, same thing on Instagram at Kansas City Barbell. On Instagram, my personal page and my coaching page is uh, Hall Barbell. And then, of course, uh, I am Scott Hall on Facebook. Uh, with the little subtitle of weightlifting coach. So um, also, um, I'd like to add to uh, hallbarbellandfitness.com and uh, kcbarbell.com. Okay. So, so the one way or the other, people are going to find you online. Yes. Um, also, if you're interested, if you're a longtime listener, been kind of thinking about, uh, you know, I heard something kind of interesting related to, um, <laughs> you know, uh, weight gain during COVID, that the COVID-19 is now the new, how much people gained during COVID. Um, but I know a lot of people listen to the, the podcast and they, you know, want to check out Eatreform. One of the things that's nice is that we do have free trials right now. So that is uh, an option for you through www.eatperform.com. Uh, the other way that you can do things, which is, you know, kind of a nice way to get kickstarted is we do have meal plans specifically for people. Um, okay. So let's, uh, let's dial it back. Um, we'll, we'll start kind of in the middle. 
because uh, you and I had been talking about you moving to Kansas City. And I was like, man, that's great. You know, I get down to Kansas City fairly often. And then all of a sudden, I think it was around, well, you probably know it better than me, but I think it was around like the 18th where was like the, the first Trump speech where everyone sort of kind of panicked. And then March 18th. And, and you were headed to Kansas City on the 23rd. Yeah. And, and it was great. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, wow, because, you know, I've known, I've known Jay a little bit um, because he was, he was involved in relentless and I was on the board of relentless for um, a few years there. And for those that don't know, relentless is this uh, powerlifting competition um, here in Minneapolis that does a lot of work. Well, actually, no, I think they have chapters in Arizona and all these other places. Um, but it does a lot of work with Hope Kids, which is, you know, um, uh, kids that are, um, have terminal, terminal illness, right, um, in various stages. And these powerlifters and their families basically just adopt these, these kids in a lot of cases, um, and, uh, man, it, uh, it, it, it's one thing that's inspiring. Um, but boy, you know, it, uh, it, 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 it also does take a little bit out of you. You know, I know emotionally it was, it was kind of tough to be around. I, I love those guys and, and would love, you know, would, would step up whenever they would need me for anything. Um, but that's a little bit how I know Jay. And I've known Kansas City Barbell. Sean, Sean was someone that I'm probably a little bit more familiar with online. Um, and Kansas City Barbell is just one of the, the better, I, don't, I wouldn't say boutique um, barbell gyms, but it's one of the better known. If you're, if you're a big lifter, most people know about Kansas City Barbell. So I, I knew that was a really big opportunity for you. But then all of a sudden it's like, you know, um, there's this massive change and I know it's like a massive change for you in your life, which I was really excited about for you. Um, but, uh, yeah, just wild, but, but cool to see, you know, um, you guys moving into the new facility and, and all this and that. Have you seen the pictures? Uh, I have, I have actually. It's, yeah. it's going to be so nice. I'm so pumped. It's like, there's so much good light. And it's just, it's not like this nasty dungeon of a gym. It's, it's real. And, you know, you use the word boutique, but it's, you know, we're a premium all inclusive coaching facility and we really wanted to offer the best environment we could for our clientele. And I, I'm very confident we knocked it out of the park with this move. I'm, I couldn't be more excited. Yeah, no, it is really cool. Um, Cause I know that that's, you know, it's interesting because um, when we first started to get to know each other, you know, I, even at that point, you were into squatting. <laughs> I just remember that, you know, um, and, and, and just to, to give people a point of reference of who I'm talking to um, is Scott has these amazing transformation pictures and we'll get into to that a little bit. Um, but, you know, it, it is just jaw dropping. Right. Um, and we've used those transformation pictures with each reform on a number of occasions and what ends up happening. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit too. Um, on the one hand, you know, people are really inspired by it. 
and really like, you know, um, all the hard work that went into it. And then there's this other side of internet troll that frankly does not come out with women, right? So, so as an example, you know, because, you know, Scott's had this great transformation, you know, there's this inference related to cheating and, and things of this nature. And I just want to kind of get into to that just for, for a second, not, not necessarily full on into it. But if you are a gym owner and, you know, you have access to great training and things of that nature, it does put you really far ahead of the game. I mean, that's something that I don't think most people are honest about, right? So like you have a lot of these people that put out, you know, fitness, you know, influencers or whatever. Um, and people are really inspired by these people, but don't necessarily realize, like you, you were posting videos a few months back and I started to do some of the work and I'm pretty fit, right? Um, I, I couldn't even remotely keep up with what you were doing, you know? Um, and it was funny because like, you know, you did one was a hundred dips and you messaged me that like you couldn't feel your arms or something like that. And I, I just don't think that the average person realizes that if you own a gym or, or you're around gym culture and things of this nature, you know, it's not uncommon to have a two to three hour day, right? Where, where you're just kind of gradually working on stuff. Now we'll say this and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong the way that a lot of people want to work out, right? So you're a lawyer, a doctor, you go to Kansas City Barbell, they're going to set you up with a program. That program's usually going to be within 30 minutes to an hour and then you're out of there, you bounce, right? But you, Jay and Sean, you know, might go, hey guys, you know, you want to lift and just do a classic bro sesh for like a couple hours, see where it goes. And then naturally, you know, two, three hours later, right? you know, you're eating ribs because you just worked out for three hours. That's just an experience that I don't think the majority of people have. They don't think of it. I mean, it's sort of everyone's wish, right? I, I wish that, you know, I had that kind of support system in place and I had that time. Can you speak to that a little bit? Because I, I really feel like that's something that um, you've had since – mostly the days that I knew you, or at least you had that interest and you went in that direction. And I probably went a little bit deeper into the nutrition side. Okay. Well, you know, my thing um, was for whatever reason I have to seem to have a, a good inborn ability to understand movement. My eyes or my best asset with when I'm working with my athletes. So naturally I was attracted toward the, uh, the movement side of, of the business and I actually nutrition, which is something I've started really, I got into since, you know, my transformation has been, um, you know, something I've been very historically pretty poor on, but, uh, but I had the movement down and it was really neat to kind of see the way that, that we diverge uh, professionally uh, going to kind of opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, but yeah, you know, I think that you have perhaps a more casual or you have a, 
a person who's very early in their fitness journey and they don't really see the poss they, they don't they don't know what possibilities are available for them right it's like if you had never seen color before you wouldn't have a concept of color right you would just everything would be black and white and there would be this whole other world that you've never seen even though it's right in front of you and i think that that's very much the way that weightlifting bit Olympic lifting or powerlifting or fitness in general, you know, if you, if you're, you know, a marathoner or a triathlete or whatever, whatever passion you pursue, um, you know, until you get bit by that bug or become, you know, what I, I call a lifer, uh, you know, I think a lot of people just don't realize the possibilities. I, I am a, I'm a gym owner. Uh, it's my job to lead from the front and set a wonderful example for my clientele and, um, you know, you have, like you were saying with the internet trolls and whatnot, they want to talk crap or, you know, be insulting or whatever. And that's fine. But I busted my ass for over a decade to put the muscle that I've got on my frame with a lot of discipline. And, uh, you know, it came to a point where, you know, my, my uncle had a massive heart attack and scared the heck out of me. I said, okay, well, time to get healthy. And that's when I did the weight loss, which was a near 40 pound cut. Um, and thankfully, you know, I'd had a decade of muscle underneath it. So, you know, it's a that's that's where I really want to picture. Yeah, that's what I really want to get into because the um I think, you know, there's <laughs> I on the one hand, we have a largely female audience. Um, and then, you know, we we can't just talk to women all the time, we can't just talk to men all the time, and but there's a lot of things that I think um, both sides can learn from the other. What, you know, you're sitting here drinking a Diet 7 Up right now, right? Um, yes, sir. And you would not have, let's say, six to eight years ago, right? Um, yeah. maybe, not, maybe not deep off the rails or whatever, um, but I, I just think it's really interesting because I remember – with my journey and it's so funny because yeah you're probably one of the only people on the planet well other than the people that were in that group at that time that actually saw the full transformation right yeah um, it's been awesome yeah and and well you know i i, I think i think what i kind of want to get into a little bit is this idea of willpower and just the want to Right, because you were a good coach and you knew movement when you weren't eight percent body fat, right, or yeah. whatever you are now. I don't know what, but you know the the interesting thing about like talking about body fat percentage is that there's these guys that are on the internet that are like, if I'm twelve percent, you know, oh my god, you know, I'm gonna die, right? And meanwhile, you know, I, I've been lucky enough to to body fat test. CrossFit Games athletes that most people think are four to five percent that are actually twelve to thirteen percent, right? Um, you just can't you just can't really function at that super low level. But but it's, think, and it's not either. You know, it, it looks good on stage. You know, if you're a bodybuilder or a physique athlete, sure. But you know, I th I think that that's something really that it wouldn't hurt the audience to hear you know, eight to 10, 11, 12%, dude, you're in a great place. You're, and this is male numbers. I'm talking, you're in a great place. You're healthy. Everything's going to work good. Um, I, I would caution a lot of people 
against shooting for lower numbers for anything over the long term. Yeah. Well, I think, um, I think that uh, if you're 12% and you take off, you know, let's say that you're 5'9", 5'10", you know, you 12%, 195 pounds. Uh, trust me, if you take your shirt off at the beach, people know you lift weights, you know. Um, yeah. I, I think that people act as if it's a death sentence like there's and, – and I fell I felt victim to this, right? So, you know, my journey was really similar to yours. And like you said, that there was that trigger for you. I can point to a few things, but I was in a motorcycle accident, right? So your story about your uncle was my story with my motorcycle accident, right? And so I had already started to get fit. Um, and, uh, you know, I knew I was going to be in a chair. Uh, for six months. And so I was like, well, if not now, when? Right. Um, and I did literally everything wrong, you know. But when I came out of that chair, you know, I was down 50, 60 pounds, um, lost a lot of muscle, sadly, because I didn't necessarily know what I was doing. It was interesting because I had another, um, once I got out of the chair, it was like, firing a gun out of a, you know, or, or a cannonball out of a cannon, you know, never in my life had I ever pursued fitness in that way before. Mm-hmm. And, and I made a ton of mistakes doing it. And, uh, and, and that was probably about the time that, that, uh, well, that would have probably been maybe a year before we met, right? Because we did meet, like you mentioned, um, in this fasting group. And it was interesting because um, I, I didn't know whether or not I wanted to be a trainer. You know, it seemed like obvious that if I was going to pursue physical fitness, that trainer was the more obvious way of, of doing things. Um, I did understand, you know, marketing really well. I had many jobs doing that. Um, and uh, I knew the value in my message because I was eating 5,000 calories a day. Now I was working out a ton, right? But what was interesting about that, and this is, this is what, this is, this is actually the piece that I think is the most interesting part about anything that we'll talk about is people are not realistic that any moment is that moment, right? Cause there's a moment where you're 10 pounds overweight and you kind of want to do something about it. But then there's another moment where you just hear like, eye of the tiger going through your head like every five minutes and you just you just will not stop until you're done right yeah yeah and i think i think that what happens for a lot of people especially after you get there like can you speak to that because because you're you're probably i mean since you're like just i mean because if if people haven't seen your picture you're, you're, you're like this fire hydrant of muscle, right? Like you're just, you're just this, this, I mean, I have to say like, like the, the part of me that, that bothered when people talk about you, one, I know you, you're one of the nicest guys I've ever met, especially in this industry. Um, and I know that there's been a lot of work that's gone into that. Right. But, but can you speak yeah. to like, like the after, Right. Because 
you know, I think that what people don't realize is that it's very motivating to wake up with eight pack abs, right? So when you start to, um, when you start to go off the rails a little bit, you naturally go, Hey, you know, come on, you know, let's get back into the routine. But the routine now isn't far different. Right. So like a couple months ago, and, and we used one of the pictures because I thought it was a really good picture for people to see is you were starting to add some white rice and, and things of this nature. And then you did like a little, little mini cut or whatever to kind of get back into line as you were starting to go into to Kansas City. But, but can you speak to that big motivation and then speak maybe a little bit to the to the after? Because I have to say, and, and I, I still struggle with this to this day, is like, what, what's the next phase sometimes, right? Uh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, you know, it was a, it was a combination of factors. The, the, the initial push that got me interested in getting healthy was my uncle getting sick. Uh, so to kind of give the, the listeners kind of an idea of where I was at the time, I had, I've got within eight pounds of a world record squat in competition. And instead of making a nine pound jump, I made a 50 pound jump and I didn't make my lift. Right. Um, powerlifting competing as a power lifter was something that was big for me for a while. And, um, you know, and then coaching. Uh, so, you know, I had gained a lot of weight, just weight. Like I was a big dude. I think I got up to 223 at five foot six. Um, I was pretty strong, but also, due to you know factors like inflammation in the joint stuff like that i had i had a uh, three steps leading up into my house and i i remember because i started i made i decided to get in shape february 22nd i remember the previous week it was cold outside and i'm walking up those steps and i thought to myself my god i'm gonna be in a wheelchair by the time i'm 50. Uh, i was 38 at the time uh, i turned 40 next month actually um, so I decided to get in shape and that was a big motivating factor for me was how my body was feeling at the time. And then my uncle getting sick. Yeah. So, so I'm just going to jump in for just a second because isn't that a trap? I, I, I've definitely fallen for it. Um, you know, they, uh, Jay talks about it a little bit, uh, with these guys that just try to get super strong with really what seems to happen is people kind of chase a goal like you were talking about, right? Yeah. So and you, you get tunnel vision bad. Yeah. And, and what ends up happening is that you end up 50 pounds overweight and you're like, how did this happen? You know? And then you start to realize, well, it happened because not only do, I mean, what people don't realize is that as you're heavier, your leverages are just better, right? Yeah, so, absolutely. So, so, right. right. And, and so now all of a sudden, you know, whereas you might have been able to do 350 for reps, now you're doing 450, 500 for reps, right? You're building a lot of muscle in this process. Food is high at all times, right? All time. and, and what ends up happening is you kind of fall into, I didn't really get into the life kind of the way that you did. Um, I, you know, for one, you know, I came to fitness so late, right? So you're 40 now 
I came to fitness when I was 39, right? So I'm 51 now, you know? And so, so I think that, uh, you know, on the one hand, some of my powerlifting friends are like, man, you're so lucky because you haven't been hurt all these times the way that we have, right? But then all of a sudden you start to realize, well, I started lifting to kind of look a certain way, be fit, do all these things. And now I'm kind of not, right? And, yeah. It's like I've been bulking for 10 years. Yeah, well, but, but, but see, that's the, part, that's the part that I think that a lot of people don't realize. And I think that women get caught into this a lot, right? So in the case of men, we're always down for a bulk, right? We're already, oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, you say to a dude, hey, you could put 12 pounds of muscle on, you're just going to have to go to 220, and he's like, give me the cake, right? Yeah. Women, Let's go. Yeah, women culturally just don't feel that the way that guys do. And I'm just trying to think uh, who, who was it was, um, it was just, just a random guy I follow online who did like a 20-pound bulk, and now he's cutting again, right? Yeah. So you're on these endless, you know, cutting and bulking cycles. Oh. And – a lot of it, you know, that's one of the things I really like about Jay's message, right? Um, because obviously this is someone who's very strong, but, you know, it's not just about being strong, right? There has to be some conditioning. Conditioning has value in all programming, even if you're trying to get strong. As an example, you know, uh, Alex Vieta kind of brought this, you know, to one of the podcasts way back in the day. He's like, if you don't think that having better cardio allows for more reps, you've just never done any reps, right? Yeah, absolutely. It just just matters that much. So I really think when you look at those pictures of Scott, what you have to realize is that there were many, many years where he was putting on all that muscle, right? And, and a lot of people would look at the transformation that you made. Like, how many months would you say it was between 40 and then kind of where you just went to apeshit level? Um, how, how do you mean? Between? Like, super ripped. Oh, okay. That was eight weeks. Yeah. So It was eight weeks. And I will say this. I lost strength. Yeah. I lost strength hard. And it took me a while to gain it back. But in the last six months, I've had lifetime PRs at a lower body weight than I've ever had. And see, for me, and I think for a lot of guys in particular, guys that like moving weight, we go to cut and then we get a little weak. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh my God, no, get food, 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 food. My motivation at the time was to get healthy and frankly to get sexy because I was getting divorced and I'm an awesome guy. I think I, some people seem to, my girlfriend thinks so maybe. Uh, and I just wanted to be in, you know, good shape and, and be attractive. And, uh, and it worked, you know, it, it really, really, it my and people don't realize this. If you've never been really lean and healthy, the world treats you so much differently and it's not right. And I don't think that it's necessarily fair, but it really shocked me because I'd always been this overweight kind of bulky guy. Once I got there, you know, before that, I was this skinny, fat little dude. And um, it's really interesting the way that the world chooses to interact with you uh, when you get healthy. Yeah, well, I mean, it, you know, 
I, I think that what ends up happening is they look at you as if, you know, you have this secret, right? But the reality is, is that when you lose, you know, 40 pounds in eight weeks, right? The first 20 comes off like nothing, right? Um, that probably took, what, a week or two, right? Ish. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, yeah, it, it came off fairly, fairly quickly. And most of this is not the way that we do it or the way we would prescribe it. And, and it probably isn't the way that you would prescribe it. But, but the thing that you have to realize is that when you are over-consuming, it has value. This is the main, this was the main conversations that Scott and I would have all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Was, was not only was just the cycling of having a higher calorie point, right? At that point, my calories are high and I'm like, Scott, I'm eating all the time, you know, and I'm still getting lean. Um, and he's like, yeah, you know, there's no real secret here, man. You're just working out all the time. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and now all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're building this muscle as you move to more resistance training and things of this nature. Cause like I was saying earlier, your average lawyer, you know, that goes to the gym, you know, is going to do like a 15 minute hit session or something in this nature, maybe with a little warm up, maybe a little, this is not what you did for 10 years. Right. And so what you did was set up this scenario where you were building all this muscle. It's so darn hard to build muscle without kind of doing what you did, even though it makes people feel uncomfortable. Right. And then I think what you said is actually, you know, also really cool. Cause like you have something that, I mean, like when I show my transformation pictures, people like, wow, that is nuts, man. But yours is different because of the amount of muscle that you have, right? Like I said, I mean, you just look like a muscle fire hydrant, you know? And I think you're right. I think people do then look at that a little bit differently. I think that, um, you know, when you, you walk through it, I just want people to understand the piece of, there was a long period where you were building muscle. Right? Well, I, was, I was training my ass off. Yeah. I mean, you know, I squatted between two and seven days a week for the better part of a decade. Yeah. You know, and then of course, on top of that, you know, Olympic training and, you know, powerlifting, you know, you could call it super total training or whatever, but I never was much of a bodybuilder. I still do not consider myself uh, knowledgeable in training bodybuilders and whatnot. But when it comes to weightlifting and powerlifting, you know, I, I, I want to kind of stay in my lane. Yeah. But I mean, it was primarily big movements, as much weight as I could move, and a lot of damn reps, a lot of reps over time. And I'll, I mean, a lot, a lot, I can say literally thousands and thousands of squats. Every single squat cycle that I've ever done, I would say has been somewhat inspired by the videos that I've seen of you or whatever, right? Like, like so many times, you know, because squatting is not something that intrinsically is, is a skill of mine. You know, I'm more of a deadlift guy, things of this nature. But, you know, just, you know, you see the pictures, right? Your quads are well-defined. You know, the, the, the one thing that I will say that people, you know, probably don't necessarily realize is you are built like a powerlifter. 
right? Like you're really, you're built like the leanest power lifter on the planet almost, right? Like, uh, well, no, because the, like I said, the tendency is that I'm a power lifter. I like, for instance, when I started power lifting, there was, there was two guys that started with me. I'm not going to say his name because I, you know, <laughs> I don't want those problems because now it's 300 pounds. Um, but, but we started at the same weight, right? Yeah. So, so I, was, I was willing to gain some weight. I think I was 175. He was 175. Um, I worked up to 190. Uh, ended up pulling 474 um, in a meet and, and, and was happy with that number. Um, like I said, he's now 300 pounds, right? Started at 175. And he, he, he probably got to 275 faster than anybody I'd ever seen now. He's really super strong, you know. Um, but I just don't see a lot of those guys. You know, there's a lot of the, the people that I know from that lifetime where there's a lot of people that die early, you know, um, of, of heart-related illness and, and just all these things that, that kind of go on. So I think, I think the two lessons, you know, just to kind of summarize these last couple points, the two lessons that people need to know about your story is, like you said, a lot of work, a lot of food, and then when it was time to hit the button, you hit the button and didn't look back. Yes, and so, so we can talk a little bit. So I want to, I want to unpack this is this. So, so one of the reasons why, uh, so Scotty, along with the motivations to, to try to work through my bad squat and all these different things. Um, Scott is on TRT. As many of you know, that listen to this podcast, um, I am also on TRT now. So um, TRT for those that don't know is testosterone replacement. Therapy. Um, Scott will talk a little bit uh, about why he, you know, chose to go that route. Um, and, and it's virtually my same story. I would say that between you and Gil, the person that I go to through, through his clinics, um, just the conversation sort of helped, but, but something that, that you just said, and I heard someone else say was, why would I want to be miserable when I know there's an option out there that would allow me to continue to recover better and keep moving on, right? Naturally, as a man, you're going to decrease, so why not take advantage of it? Um, before you talk, I want to say something, though, because, you know, I want to kind of get into, because every time we do a picture of yours, everyone says, oh, this guy's on steroids. So testosterone, well, an advantage um, is not steroid level per se, right? So with TRT, what you're, you're doing is going to a doctor, you're prescribed, you know, an amount for your deficiency that allows you to get into a range that allows you to, you know, regain some function that might've been lost. Maybe it was strength, whatever, right? Um, but the key is the doctor part, right? So if, if uh, you know, you're tempted to just kind of listen to what Scott and I are talking about and then, you know, check with, you know, some guy at the gym, um, don't be surprised if, you know, a lot of things go really bad for you. I mean, if you haven't listened to any of our podcasts with Gil, they're somewhat mind-numbing in how just 
scientifically he goes into it and there's so many things that can go wrong and then all of a sudden you're in a online forum trying to get some answers to to what you did wrong because you took too much too soon or or things of this nature so i think we always have to say that but at the same time there's all these people they're like oh this guy's on this this guy's on that and i feel like a lot of that is i i don't really believe in the haters motivate me thing or whatever and i'm, I'm pretty sure you don't either right um, like but but haters you know just the concept of of that kind of thing what i think it is though is that a lot of people don't realize the level of work that goes into like i said just being a fire hydrant of muscle right and and it discounts that now on the other hand you have guys that are on serious steroids much higher than any dose that you and i are on right and they say well you still got to lift the weights it's like yeah but you know i mean if you're shooting up rhinoceros testosterone it really helps you lift the weights well you know there's a reason that you know olympic athletes get popped yeah right i mean it it makes a tremendous difference in recovery and and your ability to to perform sport uh you know statistically over the course of a lifetime, you know, the, the basic is about a 10% increase over a non-enhanced athlete, right? And you're not going to get that on test, you know, on TRT doses at all. Um, I think what people need to know about TRT is that it just takes you out of, it takes you from not optimal to optimal, assuming you're, you know, you've got a decent physician that actually knows what they're doing and they care to manage you correctly. And, uh, you know, like you said, it's just, there's no sense. And, it's like, why would you walk around with a headache all the time if you could take some Aleve and not have a damn headache, right? Why would you walk around being less optimal in your life uh, when, you know, you can go to the physician, get your hormones checked out, and if something's out of whack, address it, and then just carry on. Well, and I think a lot of the women that listen to this podcast go, okay, here's Paul and Scott talking about TRT. This has nothing to do with me because I'm a woman. Well, naturally, as a woman you're going to have lower testosterone. And once again, we're talking about a situation where you're going to a doctor, right? But if you are experiencing, you know, your um, premenopausal, perimenopausal, postmenopausal, um, going to the doctor and having that checked out, you know, is going to be value. I will say this though, you definitely want to have a conversation related to um, testosterone. Cause I, I, I do think there's like this preconceived notion sometimes, especially with primary um, care physicians that, you know, oh, you don't want to be playing with testosterone as a woman. Not true, right? Um, many of my clients are, are, are using testosterone and they're just trying to get it to that level. To- when they go, yeah, optimal, where they go to the gym, they get a good result from their lifting and things of this nature. Obviously, you can overdo it, but typically, once again, you these are not doses that you're getting from a doctor, you know? Yeah, yeah, and I think, I think something to touch on there, people have this maybe preconceived notion or whatever of what this may mean, and I'd like to kind of illustrate for folks, it's, it's literally the difference between 
just having a better quality of life and not, it's not simply about, you know, just going to the gym and packing on muscle or whatever. It's just like anything else. You know, if your thyroid was out of whack, you, you would get sent, you know, whatever your doctor would prescribe to you to, to get those levels within range. And that would have a significant effect on your energy levels. Uh, you know, how you're going to move through your day to day with work, how you're going to interact with your family. And I think, you know, hormone, hormonally, you know, we're talking about testosterone now, but I think it would behoove anybody who's aging. I would say, you know, most of my, uh, you know, I'd say any guys, you know, 40 or older for certain and women, you know, 40, 45 and older, you know, get checked out. And there's no sense in living a life that's less satisfying and less pleasant to make your way through than if you if you can afford it, if it's something yeah. that's accessible to you, um, like I said, I mean, you know, most insurances aren't going to cover this kind of thing, um, so you you have to kind of keep that in mind. I did have a I did have an interesting scenario where um, one of my clients was like, "Hey, um, you know, I'm sub five, um, but I'm concerned that I'm going to have to take you know something for the rest of my life." And, you know, he's same as me, 45, 50 years old. Um, and, but, but also um, in the high 300s, right? Yeah. Look, man, I get the concern because you're essentially turning off your production, yeah. right? But at the same time, where you're at, is potentially going to hurt you long term. In the high 300s regarding t- total testosterone level. No, in high 300s in terms of weight. Oh, okay. Damn. Okay. No, like total testosterone was like 150. Free testosterone was like under five. I'm like, look, dude, you you should act right now. You know, like don't mess around. Um, And and I I get, you know, like I said, I get the concerns. You know, do your research, do your homework. Everybody has to do that kind of thing. Um, it was interesting, you know, was on, a, on a side note, I know people love it when I go on these little rants, but there was an episode of Man with the Plan, and they were talking about vasectomies, and it was like watching this episode talking about vasectomies like it was the 1970s or something, right? He, the guy was talking about, like, you know, affecting his manhood and, and things of this nature, and how this relates is because you start talking to guys about testosterone and people are like, no, I'm good, man. You know, it's like, look, look, I'm not, you know, saying you're less of a man because you're aging, right? It, it, yeah. affects, it, it affects us all. And I mean, so, it happens, assuming you're lucky enough, you're going to age. Yeah. And so, so I really feel like whether you're a man or woman, you know, it's something to really think about. But I also want people to know that, you know, the people that are, are wondering, hey, is this guy on a little bit of something? That's true. Yeah. And and also awesome. I don't think there really needs to be any any shame in that. I feel like I feel like, you know, for you and I, there's all these these, you know, super bodybuilders and things of this nature, you know. I mean, I saw a guy post uh something online that was just an absurd total testosterone number. I mean the amount of testosterone that you would have had to put in your body to get to that level. Yeah. So there's this, this ego macho part of that. Right. And then, and then there's the other part where guys are like, you know, I don't want to go to the doctor because, you know, I don't want to be less of a man. And then here you and I are, are 
and it's so funny and I know I, you're going to say something and, and I want to let you speak, but, but uh, what, what, what happens is that the real work is almost always done in the gray area. It's rarely in the black or white area. Yeah. And I would say that that's where we are, but, but what were you going to say? That I was going to touch on uh, kind of keying back to the conversation earlier. Um, and my partner uh, up here, uh, my business partner, Jay Ashman, actually uh, posted a video up on Facebook earlier talking about this today. And I guess that's why it's fresh in my mind. It's, um, you know, for guys, some of us, you know, we, we get kind of stuck on getting big and strong and, and so forth and so on. And, for example, you, like you had your friend there who's, you know, in the high 300s. You know, we tend to kind of poo-poo, you know, in regards to BMI. Because it's like, you know, I'm Jack, BMI's bullshit. And, uh, or bullcrap, I don't know what I can say on here. Uh, but, um, you know, Jay made a really valid point. He's like, you know, be, as far as health goes, BMI is a valid measure. I mean, if you, regardless, if you're 40 pounds overweight of muscle or fat, that's still compressing your lungs, compressing your heart. You know, there are a lot of benefits to getting down into a healthier BMI range, one of which will be very oftentimes due to some internal chemistry. When, a, for example, a guy loses a significant amount of weight and actually gets his diet in check, gets plenty of healthy fat, so forth and so on, you can get back a lot of that suboptimal Mm, hormone levels that you've got, for example, say you're a hundred pounds overweight, you pull 80, 80 or hundred pounds of that weight off. You're going to be a new man. You're going to feel younger. Um, and that was a big part for me is when I lost that, you know, nearly 40 pounds, dude, I the, the thing that sold me on moving forward and staying healthy and never getting back to where I was is I'm almost 40 years old. I feel like I'm 25. I felt like I was 50. Yeah. Like, I, you, I can't overstate that. I cannot overstate the difference in quality of life that just getting to a really healthy weight and actually focusing on being healthy, the difference that it made. And I think so, so many people get very narrow, narrow vision on that. They, you know, they're just trying to get stronger or whatever, but man, health, it's like, you're going to die. It'd be nice to put it off a little bit. Well, that's the one thing that I really like about your message and Jay's message, though. Jay, Jay's probably a little bit more to the point than you might be, <laughs> right? Uh, I think like, get it together, motherfucker. What's wrong with you? So, so Jay, Jay, uh, Jay's definitely a, um, he's a firecracker of a guy online if you follow him. Um, you should yeah. <laughs> lie if he's about twice as bad. Yeah. Well, the, um, like I said, I, you know, I know of him. I, yeah. I, I, we've been friends online for a while just because of relentless. Um, but I, I said he's a great guy. Yeah. But, um, well, I, you know, it's interesting because the, the, like for instance, right now, Jay is a lot about trying to inspire people through this difficult time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And he's relatively unapologetic about the fact that he's going to try and pull you out of the doldrums, right? Yeah. And then, and then there's this other school of thought, which once again, you know, there's the J role and then there's the other people that are like, hey, it's okay to flounder a little bit when you're not feeling 100%. I, I don't know which side I stand on per se, 
but I tend to stand a little bit more on the J side because at the end of the day, you know, I, I you know, one thing I've, I've always tried to do with this podcast, I talk about my therapy. I talk about all of the things that, that make me who I am. And, and ultimately, if you have an eating disorder, they don't tell you to undereat all the time. If you suffer from depression, they don't tell you to not do self-care, right? So, so I think, yeah, Jay might seem a little bit hard. I mean, he's, he's a power lifter, right? He's a, he's a guy that lifts weights for a living. And, and people do go for, you know, there's so many times where, where I'll say something that, that people see as motivational or Jay might say something that, that people see as motivational and there'll be people that go, I needed that today. Mm-hmm. Right? But then I always wonder like how many people then it has like the source of shame and they say nothing. So I'm, 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 I'm always conflicted by, by that. And I've always tried to be a little bit more, like I said, not so black and white, just because I, I do know what it's, I do know what it's like to suffer from depression. We, we, we live in the gray and you know, you know my story, you know weightlifting without getting into too many details pretty much saved my life at a, at a period of my life when things were uh, not, I wasn't not emotionally and mentally healthy. Um, that said, uh, we're going to die. Like, we're going to die. That's an absolute. And, you know, my, and I guess this is just my perspective on it. It's, I sure would hate to know that I accepted less of myself than I was capable of at any given point. And that's something that, that's taken a long time to earn. And, and that's a place that it took a lot of, I had to love myself before I could approach myself in that way. Um, I've been in that pit of despair. I've been on the other side of it where it seems like there's no hope. But still, even when there's no hope, you can manage to step one foot in front of the other. You know, and I think if I could give anybody a message, particularly right now, you know, there's like, on, on the one hand, like you're talking about, there's some fit press saying, you know, it's okay to, you know, kind of get out of your routine and, and what, no, man, this is the best time in the world to establish structure and establish routine and do something with yourself because we've been forced to take a moment and step back a little bit from the chaos of the regular American life. And, you know, if you come out of this 10, 20 pounds overweight or less healthy or whatever, like, dude, that's on you. I mean, we would, we want you, I mean, come, let us, let us, let us serve you, <laughs> let us work with you and coach you and, and, and help you out. But, um, you know, and, I, and I'm going to side with, with Jay on it. It's like, there's nobody in the world that cares if you eat like you do. Right. And there's nobody in the world that's going to care for you like you do. So I think that we've got to just be really aware of, are we allowing ourselves to be less than what we're capable of? Well, I think I'm sorry, I kind of got off on a rant there. But. Oh no, that's great because I think that you're you're onto something here. The, the, what this did fundamentally was change our routines, right? Mm-hmm. And what's easy to do is take good habits, right, and then you know turn them into bad habits or replace them with bad habits, right? So things that you would not normally do. That said, I do think that there are lessons that we can all figure out from 
even those moments, right? So I think as an example, there's a lot of people that have a relatively rigid life. I go to work at such and such time and I do this and I do this. And now all of a sudden they might have ice cream with their family and now they're feeling guilt about it, right? Maybe, maybe the, where you were, you had built up this just, just jingle stack of rigid behavior. Maybe that wasn't the answer, right? But maybe the eating ice cream three times a day also isn't the answer and that there's a way to kind of have both. And so I, I do have a, a level of empathy, but I'm going to tell you what I did. The minute this happened, I think we were probably three to four days in and what I said, cause normally I probably hang out a little bit more on the marketing and sales side, right? Mm -hmm. Well, now content and things of this nature. We have a great group that can do that for me now. Yeah. Right? And so I immediately stepped in the reviews. And I mean, what people don't realize about Eat Reform is that we do 7,000 reviews a week, right? I um, mean, we're dealing with massive numbers. I just dove right in. And I was like, this is where people need me right now. Yeah. And so I immediately walked into, hey, what kind of plan can we put you into? You know, there's no rules right now. I'll do whatever it takes, right? And what, what I think I was trying to say or the message that I think people heard was this guy's not going to let me flounder, right? Yeah. And – and that's the value in a coach. Yeah, and, and, and one of the things that, you know, I, I can – there's really only maybe two people that, that I've had this situation with, but I'll give you an example. We had a, we had a lady that was a nurse, right? Um, she's working 12 hours a day working with COVID patients. Um, and all she's doing right now is getting me her weight, right? That's it. Right. And because I just want her to be conscious of what's going on. Right. Now, the good majority of people, the one thing that I don't like to do, and anybody who knows Eat to Perform knows this, um, I don't like pulling people into a middle plan. And what I mean by that is if we're in a performance cycle, let's stay in a performance cycle. If we're in a fat loss cycle, let's go fat loss. Because like we were talking about earlier, I believe that there's moments where you have great motivation. Yes. Right? And I don't think that you can just at any time, you know, go in that direction. So in my view, if, you know, you just woke up on Sunday and your weight's up two pounds, that would not necessarily be something where I would chop your calories in half. Right? But, but so, so the, the problem that, that this is kind of faced, right. Is you had people that had these routines and things of this nature. This would probably be the first time I would say that I've put people into like middling plans. Mm -hmm. Cause we, you know, I mean, you know, this, obviously we have people that, you know, are eating 5,000, 6,000 calories, right? Um, they're in performance, they're, 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 you know, we have so many 
what percentage what percentage would you say are there i would say five percent yeah right but i think that's a valid point like at most probably yeah yeah i think oh yeah for sure you know i mean like you were talking earlier you were you were talking about um athletes right and what they were willing to do you know i have a buddy of mine who uh you know he started at 240 um he's right now at at 205 and he he's trying to get to um sub 200 his lean mass was 191 right we knew we were going to have to blow through a little bit of muscle to get him to where he wants to go yeah ultimately what you be healthy as heck when he gets there too well but what you were talking about was he's in the phase that you were talking about because he's like oh man i hate to lose my capacity but the nice thing was is that i took him from 250 and brought him down to 213 once we were at 213 i brought his calories back up to about 4500 to 5000 so now he knows what it's like to have the juice right mm-hmm. he knows what it's like to to be working with all the power and so now he knows I mean, because if you look at his deficiency as a CrossFit athlete, it's just that he's too big, right? Yeah. The dirty little secret thing, CrossFit, it's a it's a sport for small people, right? Like yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a very if you look at the top athletes, there's a very specific window of of not just weight but also height that the top performing athletes. You know, it's it's very much a there there's an ideal. There's yeah. an idea. It's like as far as a figure skater, you know, you wouldn't have a figure skater that's on the ice at 260, you know, with 200 pounds of lean mass, probably. I mean, you look at every CrossFit Games athlete, they're your size and my size. In fact, like I, you know, I was walking past, uh, who's the guy, the, the guy that won it? Um, he wins it all the time, Matt, um, Matt Frazier. Yeah. So I walk uh, past Matt Frazier and I was like, wow, I could dunk on this dude. You know, I mean, but he's just like, like, like I said about you, he's just like this fire hydrant of muscle. Um, he, he trains all the time. And, uh, but, but getting back to my friend, so my friend is really just trying to get into that optimal range or at least close enough. Now we'll say this, um, the master's ages, which is his, you know, he's, he's coming up on 40. You typically see bigger athletes. Um, I, I'm trying to remember the guy's name. I think it's like Sean, Sean Ramirez. Um, there's a few of, uh, of, as master's athletes, they tend to be a little bit bigger, right? Yeah. Um, because they need a little bit more muscle and things of this nature. Um, but you're right. I mean, you look at every Noah Olson, Matt Frazier, Scott Pancheck, all these dudes are like five seven, five nine, right? Yeah. Rich Froning, you you know, I'm taller than Rich Froning, you know, and he's listed as five ten, you know. So you know, these guys are not just like these massive guys, right? No. Um, but anyway, so uh, just to kind of finish things off, I think um, we're just at this really interesting time, and I thought it'd be fun to just have a conversation. One of the things that I've, I've tried to do. Um, since this happened is just to have more conversations with people yeah. because people are just worn out by coronavirus talks, right? And oh, yeah, I mean, it's I'm freaking sick of it, man. It's like, I just want to 
go have a beer with my friends. Yeah. yeah. You know, I really do. Um, before we leave, could I, could we circle back around to something? Yeah, for sure. Um, another time, Scott. I mean, let's I'm talk. in my house for the next few months. Gosh, I know. Uh, let's talk about uh, success and maybe habits post big changes. Yeah. You know, um, can you take a look at your messenger real quick? Yeah. Okay. Okay, so we had a little bit of a pause there. Both uh, Scott and I needed a bathroom break. Um, but we wanted to get, uh, this is, I'm really excited about this because this is something I talk to a lot of clients about that lose a lot of weight, yeah. right? And something that I went through, and like I said, I still go through a little bit, is you accomplish this, you know, for me, I lost 100 pounds, right? Um, Which is awesome. But, but. What ends up at the end of that road is you go, well, okay. So let me just, let me just step back for a second because people often go, well, why aren't you showing a before and after? And we do, you know, I don't believe in the shame of the before. That's why I don't like doing it. Right. Okay. I don't like showing people, um, you know, people said that about me with my before and after that, that, you know, you've got to show people to motivate people. I'm like, why isn't me with abs motivating? <laughs> right. Um, and, and I get it. Like you go, well, okay, here was this guy, you know, but at that time my life was like so unattended. So now all of a sudden, you know, you lose all this weight and a lot of people go, um, what would advice would you give me? I said, well, the advice that I would, would have given me is, you know, do it slower, right? Yep. I was just in this hurry to get back to, to normal. Um, and in reality, you know, it, it, if I had just taken maybe a year or two longer, I would have held on to a lot more muscle. Yes. Uh, and, and what happened for me was that as I got to 21%, I remember I still – I still keep it in my, my fitness pal as a motivation. Um, it says minus 20% or bust. Right. And, and I got down to nine. Right. Um, and it's funny because you were pointing out earlier when I said you were 8%, you said nine. Um, your 9% is so different than what my 9% because I didn't have a lot of muscle built up at that time. Sure, sure. Right. I had like new gains, People looked at it. It's so interesting because, you know, you probably remember where, you know, I was posting all these pictures. And I mean, you know, you'd post 20 pictures. Most of them looked good, but there was only one or two that really looked internet good. You know, I mean, that is the weird thing about um, where we are with the fitness industry is that, you know, you have a client, I have a client, you know, she was 275 pounds, now weighs 180, she's 5'11", doesn't have abs, barely matters to people, you know, which I think is really sad. I feel like, I feel like when you look at... That's very, very valid. That's yeah. very valid. It's like, 
and I think it's just our perception has gotten so skewed because, you know, everybody presents the best possible image they can on social. And I think that that's become a pretty insidious, insidious thing for most of our mental health in the day-to-day life because we've got these images that we're bombarded with every single day, be it celebrity or regular people. Everybody's doing auto touch-ups on the damn pictures and, you know, getting the lighting perfect. And, you know, it's... I'm not going to say an unrealistic expectation, but I think that it's very largely unhealthy. I think that for most people to walk around with super deep cuts all the time is not going to be the most, most healthy area. And I mean, and you look at, for example, like you were talking about the CrossFit Games athletes where you're sitting between 10 and 12% body fat, that's going to be athletically their butter zone for health and fitness, you know, and some of them are going to be super cut up based on genetics. Some of them are going to be less so. Yeah, I think, you know, when you're just kind of, you know, bring it back, but but everything that you say almost wants me to go in another direction. I, I, th- I think that, you know, as an example for many of these CrossFit Games athletes, I've been around them. I've body fat tested them. I've eaten with them. You just have no idea how much these people eat. Right. I mean, what I, well, the one thing that I do really, really like about Matt Frazier's message is that he openly tells you, you know, he's like, my calories need to be 9,300 for what I do. Yeah. Right. And he's like, he hey, it. sometimes every day is a job to eat, you know? Um, Absolutely. And, and, and so I think that's something that, that people need to consider, but, but kind of getting back to what you were saying, you know, I, you know, there was a part of me that was just really done chasing the low body fat percentage and was like, you know, I'm going to put on muscle. Well, at that time, I knew that I was low testosterone, mm-hmm. right? So, so the idea that I was going to put on a lot of muscle wasn't realistic. So I got down to, to 149 and I've talked about it on the podcast before. Um, but at 149, I mean, like my left eye would twitch all the time, right? I just had like this stress level. Um, I even though even though there was a lot of food towards the end there, you know, I got pretty aggressive, and I probably would have been, you know, 1500. But that was for like two weeks. Yeah. Right? But what was happening is that even in that scenario, you're still trying to work out three times a day, and things of this nature. And you just hit this end of the road where you're just like, I, I need something different. And that's sort of what led me into powerlifting, actually, mm-hmm. right? Because, you know, um, after, you know, so I, I was only 149 for like three days, right? Um, and uh, that's how the low weight works. <laughs> yeah. And, and then, um, but then I stayed 155 for a really long time, um, probably, probably eight months, but I was, I was still small, you know, I mean, you know, I say this and and I know women can't relate to this, right. But, but I wasn't going into it to look like a 13 year old, you know, and I just, I just looked like a really small guy, right. I was fit. I could deadlift a good number, right. Nothing too crazy at that point. Um, and then I was doing these workouts, which were, you know, 
um, it, it was fine. It allowed me to stay the, the weight that I was at. I was eating more reasonable at this time. So I, I wasn't necessarily working out three times a day. Um, but I also wasn't eating five, 6,000 calories a day. And, and, and at that point, you know, I, I don't have, you know, I got a solid two to four pack, right? Um, I can do some really cool things at the gym, right? Um, but nothing that, you know, you know, I'm doing Tough mutters at that time. I'm, I'm you know, I, I compete powerlifting soon thereafter. So I'm trying to find something just to kind of keep the fire. Yeah, I was about to say trying to find the fire, find your yeah. passion in that moment. Yeah, and and what ultimately I think I I kind of kind of came towards was just this this happy place that was a little bit eat to form. This is the funniest part about eat to reform. The minute I started talking about eat to reform and and what I did and how I got lean and things of that nature, I was intentionally trying to go up in weight at that point. Mm-hmm. Right? I was, I was trying, you know, I knew, I knew that was a little bit kind of stressed out. I would say right at the beginning of each perform, I was probably 165, mm-hmm. you know, um, routinely now at 190, 195. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and have roughly 25 more pounds of muscle than I did at that point. Yeah. I'm probably right now, I'd say 15 to 17%. Okay. Um, which, like I said, not a death sentence. At any point, I could pull the string and, and lose, you know, 10 to 15 pounds. Um, we can talk a little bit about that. I don't want to get too into it because I want to get into your habit discussion. Um, but when I went on TRT, this was something that I talked to you a little bit about. Um, I went into it with the idea that I was not going to cut, right? Because I knew yeah. that it would be—I knew it would be really easy to cut um, afterwards. But I'd gone this such a long time without being optimal in the gym, and I just wanted to see what it would be like. Then, of course, I've—you know—you have all these thoughts about these things that are going to happen, and it just doesn't work out that way, right? I tweaked my knee, all these different things. And so, so, you know, if you think you're going to get hormone replacement and you become Superman, that's just not how it's going to work. Right. No, heck no. And so um, what would you say to the majority of people are some of the habits that you brought into your life that really have made a, a really big difference. And then I know this isn't going to blow anyone away, but I think it's also sort of helpful for people, right? Um, just to understand how simple most of this is for you and I. Yeah, okay. So, um, you know, I have a lifetime membership to eat to perform. Uh, back when those were available for a handful of minutes, I snagged one up. Many no, we don't want to tell people about that because people get so angry that, that, that they could have had it for so, so relatively inexpensive. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, when I work with clients, uh, you know, we, uh, we handle body recomp, fat loss, you know, muscle gain, whatever we, we do remote coaching, we do remote, uh, nutrition work, you know, we do it all. 
I use uh, a blend of approaches with with my clientele. Uh, one of which, uh, one component of which is, is a macro based approach, which I've used myself, uh, which you know we know ET, ETPs built around. And um, you know, for me, the big thing for my personality type, and I'm not one of those guys that has to have obsessive structure. It actually freaks me out. I don't do really well with it. I need a, personally, I need a little bit of wiggle room. Uh, but I, I don't have obsessive structure with my macros. I do have pretty obsessive structure with what I eat. Um, for me, post-cut, and the way I approached my cut was I knew there was a calorie range I wanted to be in. I pulled out foods that were known inflammatory triggers, and I basically went paleo-ish for the, for the duration of time because I knew that that would help me get my markers, you know, health markers that would that would help give me a tailwind to progress with that. So the thing about paleo and and a whole foods approach in general, you know, you have these people, and it's less now. You know, most. Yeah, I'm not dogmatic about it. I'm not certainly not a paleo no, no, guy. No, no, I'm 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 going with you here, right? Um, when Eat to Perform first started, paleo was it, right? Oh. Everyone was paleo. Now, no one is paleo except for Scott on this podcast. Um, but, but literally, like, paleo kind of went by the wayside. And then when you think about it, paleo is mostly whole foods. So when you look at some of the habits, what I think you're bringing up and what I kind of want to filter it down to is if you go mostly whole foods, you're going to have it mostly right most of the time. If now, you can get fat eating fruits and vegetables and healthy meats like you got an appetite bro yeah <laughs> you know if, if you can be morbidly obese eating things that the earth has provided to you like you you've accomplished something well this is the thing that you know i feel like a lot of low carb advocates are not completely honest about right because you know like there was one guy that i saw recently who cut down and you know Hey, look, you know, I did it too, right? But he's 155 and he's talking about his reverse low carb and, you know, now he's at 158. And the thing that people don't realize is that without insulin, it's really, really hard to put on muscle no matter how much you eat. So now all of a sudden he's kind of bragging about the 6,000 calories that he's eaten. Well, dude, I guarantee you, you're shitting out most of that steak, Right. You know, it's, you know, even though protein is highly insulinogenic, it's not insulinogenic in that way. And then when you add that much fat, you're basically going to blunt the response. The insulin response, yeah. And this is the part where I think that what you did, whether it was conscious or not, you know, I, I know it was conscious but maybe not in, in the way that, that um, most people would do it, right? Is when you move to a high micronutrient diet, right? A high vitamin Nutritious diet. diet. Right. It's just difficult to overeat, right? It really is. And it's not going to be one of these things necessarily where you can cut a lot of weight. So we have this happen a lot of times with, with female clients and they'll come in, they eat mostly whole foods, you know, maybe it's around Christmas, weight's drifted up five to six pounds. But what happens is, is they go to a Christmas party, 
and then you know their their weight kind of spikes up after three or four weeks of Christmas parties. It, they're just feeling a little uncomfortable in their clothing and change. But the problem was is that they weren't ten years like your story or you know forty years like my story, where overconsumption was the the way right yeah how's she gonna get big and so what ends up happening is they'll have the two days where they're off and then the five days where they kind of pull it together right and so it all nets out to a calorie average that's actually relatively low right what what people aren't realistic about and the thing that we really just try to coach people through um, and I actually think this is one of my great gifts is that I am not necessarily spectacular at every little scientific research element. The thing that I'm good at is letting people know what comes next, right? Yes. And then letting them know, hey, I've got your back and I'm not going to let you suffer, right? But I am going to push you beyond where you thought you could go, right? And, and there's they, a difference between being outside of your comfort zone and suffering. Nobody deserves to suffer. This isn't like you shouldn't suffer because you've allowed yourself to get overweight or whatever. It's like, we're going to, it's going to be uncomfortable. And yeah. I think a lot of people have almost a masochistic approach with it. That's yeah, another I, conversation I, for another day though, perhaps. Well, it is because at the end of the day, you know, that's where your eating disorders start to come in and just yeah. all this really negative type stuff. And, you know, I, I'm thinking of a client right now who, you know, she, she was frustrated because she came to us kind of not overeating, right? But she wanted to lose a little bit of weight or kind of get things back in order. And she was sort of frustrated because she lost a couple pounds, but nothing too huge. And so, you know, I went in, made an adjustment. And she's like, oh, great. You know, I'm glad to have this adjustment. I've decided that I'm definitely going to buckle down. And I'm really wanting to ride this to what was basically eight pounds different. And I was like, look, it might be possible that we could get there. I'm going to tell you the math doesn't lie, right? The math doesn't say that we're going to get there, right? But no matter what, it's not helpful for you to think, well, I'm 121, right? Um, I need to get to 113, right? It's way more helpful for you to go, would I be happy at 118 right now? Because right now, 121, you know, we all have those numbers, yeah. right? You know, and, and, and the one thing that, that I'm not judgmental really in any way is how someone feels their number should be, right? So if your girlfriend, as an example, decides that her number, you know, would be 120, you know, I don't feel like it's my place to say, you know, well, I think you'd be better off at 140, right? Um, I I think you kind of work with people at the stage that they're at. Sure, sure. And, and, you know, and I think there's a lot of value in saying, you know, that's a great long-term goal. Wouldn't it be pretty cool if we went ahead and maybe maybe hit this goal that's not quite as far and, and maybe settled in a little bit and make that next one even easier? Well, and people wonder, hey, why does Eat to Perform have all these short achievable goals? Because that's how I lost 100 pounds. This I, is a short achievable, it's an achievable goal. 
I lost 100 pounds, one pound at a time. Yeah. Right? Like I woke up every day. Like I said, man, you know, there was just a time in my life where I woke up every day and there was like Rocky theme music in the back of my head. That does not yeah. exist every day in your life. If you build momentum yeah. and a momentum, yeah. a momentum can be built at a brisk walk, right? Yeah. You know, and that's just like, just like you're saying, and I love that. If it's just a pound to do that, still, you're still moving in the right direction. There's inertia. Yeah. Well, and then the, you know, like you said, walks, I mean, people ask me like, what's the one thing that you do and, and in, in terms of habits, you know, it's walking, right? Yeah. No, no single thing has done more for Paul Nobles than walking. Right. Um, and, and so a lot of these things sort of get lost in, in, in all this other stuff. So, so let's end with this last piece because I think that this is an important piece. Okay. So you've had your lowest, right? I know recently you bumped up a little bit and you kind of did a little bit of mini cut. Like I said, for guys, it's a little bit easier. But here's something that I think no matter who you are, where you are in your journey, I believe strongly in ceiling. Right. I believe strongly in ceilings and I believe strongly in floors. Right. I believe in setting realistic expectations so that you can then reevaluate the expectation and then sort of move on. Right. Yeah. Because at some point you're just going to wring the towel for all that you got and you just don't have anything left. I think what happens for a lot of people that diet and get to kind of this low point is they want to stay at the low point. And I'm going to make the argument that you should stick it out for probably three more pounds and then maybe allow for a five-pound adjustment. Well, you're going to rebound. As you start to settle in. You're going to rebound and you're going to settle in. And I, I see that with my clients. So, you know, I've observed it directly with myself. You know, we always overshoot just a little bit. And then we know we're going to come back up and it's going to be a place where we're going to settle in. And I think on top of that is, you know, pay attention to your habits that allowed you to get there and the changes that you made and lean into those. And those, you know, those are your new normal. You know, for me, I don't eat food if in 45 minutes I feel bad. So for me, that means that I personally am gluten and dairy free. I eat whole foods. I eat potatoes. I eat rice. Occasionally I drink, but I don't eat a lot of fast food. I don't eat a lot of garbage because if I eat food and I don't feel good 45 minutes later, it's not that good for me. And I'm, that's a real easy one that I've used with my clients. I'm sure you've, you've used it with yours. If yeah. your food makes you feel good and gives you energy, eat more of that, eat less of the other crap. And, you know, you need to have a structure in place once you get to that, that promised land where you wanted to go to, to not rebound, you know, and you did not get there with the habits that got you overweight, right? You didn't get to that place. So there is an interesting point about the discussion that we're having here related to rebound, okay? So, because I think that what you're saying is 100% true and everybody should walk into it with the thought process of, yes, you're going to rebound. The one thing I would say, and the one big caveat, is that if you are a heavier person, right? Mm -hmm. I've seen people 
right, that are 220 pounds have more success with more food than they would have with less food. Now, it's person dependent. It's what you do. Sure. Right? But even in a case of, let's say, a lean 145 female, right? So she works down to 142. Just because you're lowest weight does not mean you're leanest. I remember the one picture um, that you sent me, you know, where you had started adding some, some white rice and you were like, this is the leanest I am. And, and it was just super obvious. And I think what happens for people is they get so focused on the weight thing and they don't just look in the mirror. Oh yeah. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. Dude, I'm at 198 right now. The same body fat I was at 188. Right. You're 198 at five, seven. Right. And I mean, like if I, if I, I mean, you could literally take off your shirt with the selfie post it up on internet and everybody would be like, man, this dude, you know, he's doing something to cheat. Yeah. His big cheat is that he squats 600 pounds. Right. <laughs> um, but, but I, I think when you look at all of this, yeah. And this is, this is getting back to a little bit and we'll end on, on this note. Cause I'll be been a great conversation. I always feel like the great conversations, it, it's more about you and me. Yeah. is about the person but but the feedback that i often get from people is that these conversations that go long they're the best ones yeah and ho hopefully i didn't you know talk everybody's ear off too much but you know when you and i get to talking we, we get to talking yeah for sure but, <laughs> but, but what, I, what i think happens in in the case of of you know kind of this idea of motivation and things like this. This is the overwhelming message that I think Jay's sending out, that you send out, that I send out, is that when it's your life, nothing takes you too off the plan and nothing is, is, is not something you wouldn't consider, right? Like when I look back, at all the things that I did previous to Eat to Perform, there was one difference. The difference was I didn't put any conditions on my success, right? Somebody said, would you try this? I would try it, yeah. right? But, but previous to that, there was all these things that I wouldn't do, you know? And, and you know, I've talked about it a few times on the, on the thing. This is the one thing that I really hate about, like, Noom's marketing, Right is they, they kind of are negative against exercising because they know that that's something that sells to people. And I feel like that is really a bad message as it relates to health and wellness company, right? Because you want to encourage people to be better versions of themselves, right? Yeah. And, and the thing for me that was the, that condition, why wouldn't you want to have as many tools in the tools chest as possible? Right. If, if cal calories can't be the only thing all of the time, right. You have to have movement. You have to have conditioning, all these different things. Well, so it's not just about body weight either. You know, it's like, do you feel awesome? Do you feel good? Do you move well? Right. Sorry to interrupt. No, that's great. Um, all right. Well, we'll end on that note. Um, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. Great conversation. Um, hopefully everybody kind of, you know, 
we weaved in, in and out of a lot of things. Um, but ultimately, I think we got to some really good points. And I really think when you look at it, you know, there's probably a lot of numbers that, that we've both had in our head of where we would feel the most optimal. At the end of the day, I think you're just always better off with this long-term life view mm-hmm. and you're, you're more likely to get to the best place. Absolutely. Right. I'll let you have the last word. Whatever you want to say, go ahead and say it. Uh, you guys, thanks for, thanks for having me on. Uh, thanks to Paul. Uh, you guys check us out at Kansas City Barbell, KC Nutrition. Uh, Paul, I've known him for years. I believe in what he's doing there at ETP as well. And uh, I just appreciate the opportunity to get to talk to uh, everybody. And, you know, maybe we can help some folks out. All right, man. Great conversation. Talk to you later. And you guys have a great weekend. And hopefully uh, you'll get the gym back open here pretty soon. There's sounds like might be coming relatively soon, depending on the governors. of each May 16. May 16 is what we're looking at. Perfect. All right. Thanks, everybody. Good luck. Bye-bye.